This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we continue our conversation with special guest Dallas Jenkins, creator and director of The Chosen. Once again, Dallas was so incredibly generous with his schedule and then giving us even more time right at the end for a few final questions. If you missed part one, be sure to listen to Baymont 228 for a discussion about relying on crowdfunding to do your work, underappreciated roles over the course of production, the reality of Christian media, the language of film and some of the movies that have influenced Dallas, things he's learned about other faith traditions through writing The Chosen, and some of the challenges around casting a show like this. So Marty, why don't you get us back into our questions for Dallas? You have a video that I think Brent can probably link in the show notes where you explained, I'm assuming towards the beginning of this project, kind of your production philosophy, answering all those evangelical questions that were going to come up. And you had you have all these guiding principles for the production, things like the gospels and history you're going to take are going to take precedence over religious traditions um your questions of is it accurate and is it plausible uh this idea of of not seeking the approval of anyone um which i think is huge wisdom and humility uh to consider many perspectives to make sure that there's lots of different ways to see this lots of different ways to portray this and then focusing on the story rather the interpretation uh which i i, I really liked um but then uh so to go back to that, not seeking the approval of anyone, do you have like relationships or some kind of systematic checks or balances? I mean, that's, it's one thing to say that it's another thing to carry that out. Um, cause you're still a human being with your own life and your own convictions and your own faith. And you're surrounded by people and voices and passive aggressive this. And like, do you have any checks and balances or things in, in the production that, that help you make sure you're carrying that out? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, I have, we have a, a Bible, uh, consultant board, you know, or, you know, there's three, there's a Catholic priest, a Messianic Jewish rabbi and an evangelical scholar. I know it sounds like the beginnings of a joke, uh, but it's true. And they are, they don't have veto power. They don't, um, their, their job is to kind of give, raise red flags. Um, and I make it clear to our audience and I made it clear to them and I make it clear to Angel Studios, who is the distribution uh, company who gives us freedom, but also wants to know that we're not going to ever do anything that's going to completely, uh, you know, destroy the audience or, or, you know, sink the ship. Um, but so it's ultimately my, my decision, but those guardrails are, they raise the red flags of this, two things. One is this is just incorrect or inaccurate or would never have happened culturally, historically, or biblically. Um, you know, they would say it's not plausible. Um, one of the biggest things, for example, in the first four episodes that was raised as a major red flag from Rabbi Jason was having Simon uh, fish on Shabbat. Uh, when Simon was so desperate to, to feed, you know, to, to feed his family, he was going, you know, and, and I know you've said you're not a fan of his backstory and that's totally fine. But uh, one of the, I th- what I think is, is plausible and appropriate is to portray a man who is, um, so intense and so passionate and so loyal and so protective of his family that when he's overwhelmed and to the point where he doesn't know if he can uh, provide for his family, that he's going to seek desperate means to do so. And so we kind of cavalierly had him fishing on Shabbat and, uh, to, to, in order to, to provide for his family. And, and Rabbi Jason just said that, that just would not happen. Uh, so we went back and forth about it and ultimately settled on this middle ground of, okay, he's doing it but it's a big deal. Um, and he knows it's a big deal and he's really violating his conscience to do it. And his wife and his brother, anyone who knows about it is like, 
shocked and scandalized and pointing out just how big of a deal this is. So that's an example of the kind of thing that uh, where, where red flags are raised. Um, the, the, our Catholic priest, who uh, named Father David Guffey, who reads the scripts too, he is just to give me like a, here's a red flag for the Catholic community, um, not because I care about offending anybody, um, and I'm not beholden to any people group, but I don't want to step on any landmines unnecessarily. Sure, I don't want right. to, you know, to, to, for example, you know, let's say, uh, you know, Jesus trips on a rock and as he's going down, he does some hand symbol and they're like, you know, that hand symbol is actually offensive to 90% of the population. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't need him to do that hand symbol. That's, that's completely, right. you know, um, there are some things I disagree with, uh, with the Catholic church on that I wouldn't, um, compromise for. Um, but I just don't want to do it unnecessarily or, or, uh, ignorantly. Um, and, and that's not only true of the Catholic faith, for example, or any other faith, but also culturally, you know, there's just certain things that I just don't want to unnecessarily distract from the ultimate point of the show. So that's the thing. And what, what Angel Studios and I have agreed to is that if they raise a red flag to the point where they say, look, if you make this decision, I will not be comfortable supporting the show or I believe that a measurable amount of people will will not be supportive of the show, then we have to take it kind of to the next level if I keep pushing back. Typically, I'm not going to push back on something that le- at that level. But if I do push back, like if they said to me, um, you know, for example, and if there's Catholics listening, they, this might scandalize them, but if they say to me, you can never portray Mother Mary as having any flaws whatsoever, uh, I would be like, I'm sorry, I can't, I'm not willing to to compromise on that. I don't believe that Mary Mother was 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 flawless, um, and I'm not willing to compromise on that. Um, we would then that that would kind of go to another level of discussion, and sure. um, you know because if that was going to be a dividing line for a large chunk of our audience, then we take it to the next level. Um, but ultimately, I don't believe that's going to happen because of what you said in your question, which was um, I'm really focused on the story, right. uh, and and the story of Jesus happens to be the most unifying thing of all the faith traditions. Mm. I mean, some people are scandalized by the fact that I'm working with so many people from the LDS faith. And what I try to tell them is, look, when it comes to the stories of Jesus, the Gospels themselves, there's actually quite uh, a, a, a shortage of disagreement. Um, it, I, we, we can barely think of anything that we disagree on in the Gospels themselves. Now, mm. the interpretation of it, the you know, who Jesus was at the beginning of time, uh, or, you know, in, in, in infinity, uh, what Jesus meant to people 500 years later, uh, those kinds of things. Yes, we have debates and arguments all day long. But the actual stories of Jesus of Nazareth, for whatever reason, have combined a, a group of people to our, like, for example, when you go to our fan club, it is all colors of the of the spiritual rainbow. Um, and they all get in there and like, oh my gosh, we love this show. We love these stories. We love, we agree. And then they start looking at each other, of course, and saying, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be here. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, which is what we see in the gospels too of the disciples, what we see in the show. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that is, um, the operating principle, uh, to, to have guardrails. But ultimately at the end of the day, um, when it comes to the gospels themselves, if there's a story from the gospels that we are portraying, um, and uh, I, I can't worry about how it's going to be responded to. That just can't be on my mind. I have I'm, I'm responsible first and foremost to God, second to my wife, and uh, and then uh, just making sure that I'm not making an unnecessary decision just for the sake of making some point 
uh, because I want to be controversial. And now I'm end up dragging down an entire show and, and, you know, distracting tens of millions of people just because Dallas wanted to do something cute. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I love that. All right. I'm going to toss you another softball. You could take a million different directions. Um, a choice of questions. Uh, what has surprised you the most or what has been the best part or what has been the worst part of this? I mean, you're not even halfway through this journey, we hope. Um, but up to this point in this first, whatever, third quarter of this journey that you're on with The Chosen, what is it that either has surprised you the most or just sticks out for good or bad that you're like, man, this is the thing that that's keeping me up at night or what would that be? Yeah, I think what surprised me the most is just how much uh, God continuously places me in that Red Sea situation. Uh, they're just, he just never seems to, 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 to make things quote unquote comfortable enough to where I can, I can relax. Um, and I don't know, I, I don't know if I want to say maybe surprise isn't the best word, but it, it's, it's been um, this constant reminder that God never wants me to take my foot off of the intimacy pedal with him. Um, this is ultimately for me and my relationship with God about, uh, he wants me, he wants my heart. He wants my time. Um, he, he doesn't need, um, my work. Uh, he, he could, he, you know, at any moment, uh, this could go away. Uh, he could give the chosen to somebody else or he could not use the chosen if he doesn't want to. Um, I'm just constantly reminded of that. And, um, and, and he, you know, so I, that's one of the reasons why the content of the show itself, uh, like the scenes, the miracle scenes, for example, anytime we show something supernatural, we try both in our cinematography and our music and our, uh, you know, our, our, our capturing of it, as well as the writing of it to be as intimate as possible, that Jesus was ultimately about, um, reaching to that person's specific need. And, and that's why you see so often in the show, you hear the words, look at me, look at me, you know? Look up, look up. Yeah. Don't look yeah. at him, look at me. Don't look at that, look at me. Um, I feel like that's what Jesus is constantly saying to, to me personally. Um, just look at me, look at me. Um, and every time that, you know, I'm, I'm focused on uh, the number of people who are watching the show or um, anything that is re result, you know, that is connected to the impact of the show or the success of the show, I'm just constantly reminded, look at me, look at me, look up, look up, you know, and uh, that's what, that's what matters. So I, I don't know if that would be a, if I would, again, use the word surprise for that. It's just been the, I, I didn't know going into this show that um, it was going to be way more for me than just a, a project, but it's a, it's a, it's almost like a, a spiritual connector to the creator of the universe. Um, it's just, I, I'm just drawn to the scriptures more than I've ever been drawn to the scriptures in my entire life because I'm so desperate to, to not screw this up. Um, and that's where I'll, I'll tell you the, the moment where that all happened for me uh, was um, I was in Israel in Magdala, um, the birthplace of Mary Magdalene. And I had been in Israel for a couple of days and I hadn't yet had that moment that people describe where when you go to the Holy Land, uh, it's like you're, it's like you're there where Jesus walked and the, the power of the Holy Spirit hits you like never before. And I just hadn't quite had that moment yet until I was at this synagogue in Magdala where, um, they uncovered it like 20 years ago. Um, it's, 
uh, and it's and it's kind of managed by this Catholic priest or Franciscan priest. I, I, I'm not I'm not sure exactly. I don't remember fully. I don't want to say something wrong, but um, the, he he was there just kind of making you know leading tours and whatnot. But he was occupied with someone else. And I walked to this synagogue where um, Jesus clearly had been and clearly had preached. There were inscriptions in the floor that kind of indicated from that were clearly you know 1500 1600 years old um, that had represented what took place 2000 years ago. And uh, he had clearly been there. And I felt like one of the few times in my entire life that I've experienced this, because as, as, a, as a Baptist-rooted evangelical, we don't have these moments where God speaks to us too, too often. We leave that to charismatics. Um, but for me, I was in this moment of God laid it as clearly on my heart as though he was saying it audibly. Um, uh, in, in several years, when people think of, of my followers— from the first century, your show is going to be who they th- what they think of, who they have in their minds, and I'm not going to let you screw it up. And I'm not going to claim I, I don't claim spiritual authority. I don't claim that I'm inspired by God. That, that that's that's the gospel. That the, the Bible is inspired by God. I don't want to claim that. I can just tell you that at the time I didn't know. This is before the chosen existed yet. You know, I was just starting to formulate the ideas and I was going to Israel for research. But that moment of God just like punching me in the heart, saying like, I, I'm, I'm with you on this, um, was the most frightening and beautiful and comforting thing I've ever experienced in my life. And I've that has proven to be true, uh, that I just... I. I that's not to say it well, I, I'm not, I, it's not to say I'm not capable of screwing it up. I I, I of course am, um, and I I, know, I don't even want to say 100 percent that that was God's voice. I believe it was, but I it's a very dangerous thing to claim that. All I know is I have just felt that over and over and over again, um, and God is just not letting me get out of this humbled and surrendered space that doesn't come easy for me because I'm usually, I've been through most of my life, a controlling person, a person who feels responsible for results, a person who relies on myself, uh, and God is just not letting me do that. And so, yeah, I I honestly don't know if that answers your question, but that's... No, I'm super glad I asked it. I I can't even remember if it does either, but that was great. (laughs) I love that story. And it's it's more of these tensions about God's part and our part. And uh, hey, speaking of God's part... And our part, God and human. I think, Brent, it's time to talk about God goggles. Let's do it. Let's talk about the God goggles. All right. Yeah. Yay. So we tend to lean on the Philippians 2 reality where Jesus came down and he set aside his divinity and engaged humanity wholly, completely. And even even in the places in the gospel where it seems like, oh, this would be something that he could do. We say, well, is there any possible explanation for him not using his divinity to to his advantage? And so even in the show, you have instances like uh, Shmuel, where um, his encounter at uh, when he healed, when he healed the paralytic who came through the roof and Shmuel had that conversation with him. And he's like, well, he said this and, and he said he knew what I was thinking. And then Shmuel admits like, well, of course he knew what I was thinking. What else would I be thinking? And so that's the kind of reality that we lean on. So um, maybe just give us uh, some some thoughts and perspective on on how you make those decisions as you're writing. And before we get into that, let the, let, let me as a theology nerd just say, we're I've watched enough of Dallas's videos. Like we're on the same page of the general Christological 
realities here. Like, like we're, we're all going to affirm Trinitarian orthodoxy, the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. The question comes down for theologians of how did he operate? How did those two natures that were coexistent and the hypostatic union and all those kinds of things, like how does that reality end up fleshing itself out? And, and as Brent articulated, we've always thought that while being God, he took that part of him and he, whatever you want to put, put limits on it, set it aside, did not consider it, as Paul says, something to be held on to. Right, right. But uh, came and op- took on the form of a servant and a man and operated on that level. So just to let Dallas off the hook and hopefully us off the hook, like we're going to affirm all the good orthodoxy stuff. Um, the question comes down to like, how does it practically live itself out? So so there you go, Dallas, back to you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, such an easy question. Um, (laughs) I'm sure I'll just be able to knock this out of the park in 45 seconds. (laughs) I uh, I really don't know, first and foremost. Um, I want to make that very clear. I don't know all that it looked like. Um, You know, when you say that, uh, when you point out, as we wrote uh, in episode eight of season one, Shmuel says to Nicodemus, of course he would have known what I was thinking. Uh, Shmuel believes that. Did Jesus know Shmuel's thoughts? Or, or and obviously Shmuel's not the name of it. We don't know who the names of the Pharisees were in the Gospels. Um, I don't know what it looked like. I really don't. Um, in season two, when I showed Jesus uh, for about 10 seconds, trying to come up with the best wording for some part of his sermon, uh, and he was kind of trying different things and going, oh, I don't know if that works or not. I found out that there are uh, thousands of people who do apparently know. Um, and they, were, uh, <laughs> they made it very clear in the YouTube comments that these centuries of uh, debate about this uh, is, is settled science. And they, they can show it to me in one YouTube comment. And um, I mean, oh it was God. really, I, 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 I knew it would be somewhat controversial. I didn't know it would be the most single controversial thing we've ever done on our show is 10 seconds of sermon prep from Jesus. But, they, and it's probably our favorite part of the I'm entire gonna, show. Uh, it was so <laughs> redemptive for me. I was like, "Yes!" I remember when I listened to your podcast, season one of your podcast, or you know, when you, your your initial uh, episodes. I thought, "Now these are two guys who I know will love the end of episode five. Uh, so, uh, but um, it is dangerous. It's dangerous territory to kind of step out on that, yes, you know, that limb and go. I'm going to take a crack at it. I'm going to take a crack at what it looked like. Um, I would say this is not a cop-out. I probably land in the middle of where my biggest critics land um, and where you guys land. Um, Because I will say it was a joy for me to listen to some of your analysts of season one and go, I didn't like that scene because he had his God goggles on. And then to hear someone else go, I didn't like uh, that scene because he didn't have God goggles on. Um, That made me feel better. I'm like, okay, (laughs) uh, I, I, I think I'm squarely in the middle on this. I genuinely don't know enough to know what it looked like. I do believe that Jesus was fully God. I do believe that he was fully man. I am a big fan of Philippians 2. I believe Philippians 2 is carried out. Uh, when, I, when I respond to certain people who criticize some of those moments, I, I, I use my, my examples, uh, my evidence for the Philippians 2 philosophy is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus on the cross, Jesus saying, where's Lazarus's grave? Jesus saying, who just touched me? Who touched the hem of my garment? I don't believe Jesus was lying when he asked those questions. I believe he didn't know who touched his garment, and I believe he didn't know where Lazarus's grave grave was. There are people who believe that is blasphemy. Um, 
And I think they justify it by believing that Jesus was testing or Jesus was speaking pejoratively. Uh, I just don't happen to believe that. And there are hints of that in season one. So, for example, um, and they're subtle, but when when Jesus is talking to Mary Magdalene in episode uh, seven or eight, uh, I believe, uh, let's see, I think it's episode seven, yes, when she comes to him and says, there's a Pharisee who wants to meet with you. And at one point, she says to Jesus, uh, he, she starts describing him, and he goes, oh, yeah, I think I, I know who you're talking about. I've heard of him. And b- But before he said that, he's genuinely listening to her, and she's giving him information that he didn't have. It's a very subtle portrayal of my philosophy, which is that when Jesus was having conversations with people, he wasn't Bruce Almighty in, in the movie Bruce Almighty, where, where he's walking around and just every person he passes by, he's just hearing all their thoughts constantly. And he's just, bah, 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 and he's just overwhelmed with the, just this omniscience. Um, I don't believe that was how Jesus operated. I just don't. I don't know why, I don't know what that means in the context of, of the divinity, because I do believe uh, that Jesus was also fully divine. Uh, the Philippians 2 passage, um, it's 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 difficult. He doesn't necessarily say he gave up his divinity. He sa- It says he emptied himself. He didn't see equality with God as something to be grasped. I don't know, man. I really don't. I don't know exactly what it looked like. I am portraying that there was this middle ground, and my operating philosophy on this is that he was accessing God's knowledge and God's wisdom and God's power. And by God, I mean, of course, the Father in this case. Um, and he just was doing it as as in, in, as a perfect man. He just he just always did it right. He always knew when he knew how to pray. Uh, how to access that that wisdom and knowledge and power from from his father, um, but I believe he did need to. I do believe he did need to. So when you see Jesus doing miracles on the chosen, you often see him kind of glancing to heaven, uh, sometimes in appreciation, like thanks, thanks, thanks for that, or 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 almost this like subtle, um, like all right, I'm about to do this. Uh, we 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 good, you know, like uh, you know this healing that I'm about to do, you know. Uh, we, 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 are we on the same page here? Um, that's kind of where I stand. And, um, I, I think it's probably a good indication that, like I said, you, you didn't like certain scenes that felt too God goggly and other people didn't like scenes that, that weren't God goggly enough. Um, but I, I just don't know enough to, to take such a strong stance, uh, in the way that you probably would if you were doing the show. And I don't, wouldn't take a strong enough stance, nor do I believe it's accurate, nor do I believe it's even good television. If, if, if I portray Jesus as just walking around as this, this God man, who's just, you know, every time he looks at someone, he knows immediately all of their thoughts and everything about them. I just, I just don't know. Yeah. And I really appreciate you uh, saying that. Hey, it's a great answer for this question. It's also just a great like principle of spiritual interaction. Like we don't know, like we have some strong opinions about stuff and we're pretty stupid with our opinions, but um, we don't know. I don't know either. Um, and I have some strong Christological positions, but I don't, I, I don't know. And what did you think, for, for, forgive me if I interrupted, but what, what did you think then of episode eight, which, which as of the, the, our conversation right now, I haven't heard your analysis of yet, but when, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, um, in, in that scene in the, in the scriptures, he clearly says something that she's shocked that he knows. Um, and because she's from Samaria, which he probably would not have spent much time in, it does seem very obvious to me, seem, I'll use the word seem, that he knows something he could only know through um, 
heavenly knowledge of some kind, yep. godly knowledge of some kind. We double down on that in that scene. We we give him, yep. you know, that we we give him knowledge that our, our 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 you know a good chunk of our fans, you know, that was red meat. I mean, it, it was just like, yeah, Jesus knows everything yeah. for sure. They loved that scene way more than they loved Jesus struggling with a sermon. Um, so we doubled down on it there. I, I'm guessing you didn't love that, but but do you believe that that passage of scripture, when Jesus knows what you know, you've had five husbands, yada yada. Do you believe that he just heard that from someone else, or do you believe that was an example of of God knowledge, a, a word of God that that he that that he was given to by the Father or from his his God goggles? Well, you'll you'll definitely have fun listening to that episode. Um, okay. I definitely voiced some frustration, and I gave some of my scholastic theory, which isn't a popular one. And I I, I hope I was really clear. Like I didn't fault you guys for. <laughs> don't take don't take the crazy like fringe. Uh, scholarly theory about what could be going on there. Like we talked about the five husbands. Mm-hmm. Uh, this woman, is is she the kind of woman that was portrayed? It, she could be a Samaritan priestess whose five husbands would be Torah, and she's living with somebody who's not even not even her husband, which would be her Samaritan faith expression. Um, and that would explain why the whole town listens to her. Uh, so you'll, you you can listen to some of those things and you'll enjoy that. But the one thing I have. Wow. I just gotta, I just gotta stop you right there. That That is, I have to say two things. One, I have honestly never heard that before. Uh, and two, I'm glad because I definitely wouldn't have gone that route in the show. I'm def- you don't have to worry about me listening to the fringe of that theory. <laughs> that would have, yeah. that would have, we would not have season two if I would have gone in that direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like that. And I totally agree. And I think I say that clearly in the commentary. Like, there's no way they should have done that as a decision. Same with the Simon Peterbeck story. I may have personal opinions I give you a hard time about, but yeah. like, that's, that's just the better production, like making great. Well, can you quickly, let, I mean, I, I know you, I, I want to hear what you were about to say but can you and you said you wanted to avoid this but can you quickly kind of because typically on their podcast when you say i have issues i i I hate simon peter's backstory you don't elaborate because you're kind of like but that's another story and you're kind of like dismiss it maybe it's because you're you don't want to get too much into it is there is is it possible for you (laughs) and i say this as someone who it probably wouldn't be possible for me to quickly recap why it bothers you so much what simon's backstory (laughs) oh a quick recap and most of the time i do that because i think people that list have listened through our whole journey in session three where we cover the gospel probably probably i I hope know why i might i always try to i spend a ton of time in our study through the gospels of trying to show why peter is unbelievably devout unbelievably astute unbelievably well-versed in scripture very i don't know pharisaic would be the right word Uh but um, well, I, I don't necessarily like when, when Rabbi Jason said, there's no way he would have fished on Shabbat. Like, I don't know if I would state that that strongly, but it's that same kind of like, wait a minute, Peter keeps showing us the typical understanding is that Peter is this loud mouthed, impulsive, say, speak before, you know, and actually when you look at Peter through a Jewish lens, everything that Peter says is brilliant. And usually when unpacked through a contextual hermeneutic shows how stupid we are with our text. Um, when Peter's on the Mount of Transfiguration, let me build three three shelters. Well, he's saying that, A, because it's a retelling of Sinai, and the very next thing that happens is a tabernacle, and B, he's saying it because all the Jewish Midrash talks about this. So Peter's unbelievably aware when he says that. That's really great. That's really great. I, and I, and I, I totally, that, that's totally true. And I just would say, I believe that our portrayal of Peter is someone who is fiercely loyal. Yes. And Someone who is fiercely loyal, he is fiercely loyal to God. Um, he is fiercely loyal to Jesus 
uh, as soon as, as Jesus calls him and he falls to his knees. And, and he says, even in episode five, like, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. Um, but I believe everyone's strength is also their weakness. And that I just believe that as a human being and as a flawed human being, his loyalty, which is his possibly his number one operating principle, can at times be misplaced when the flesh side of him gets in the way, which would cause him to overreact to things at times and would cause him to be like Jesus to say, Simon, would you... Oh, Dang it, man! Would you quit knocking over the the glass in the in the in the, in the store? Like your loyalty is causing things to you know like chill out, please. And yeah. so it, there are times when I believe his loyalty to his family in a fleshly moment might cloud his loyalty, uh, his better judgment spiritually. And so, but I do hope that you appreciate like when he's on the boat in episode four and he's crying out to God about the history of the Jewish people, that he's, that that's all accurate. You know, now, yes, you yes, might've said, yes. you might've said, I don't like his, you know, that he questioned it so much, or maybe you did like it. I don't no remember. Way. That. It's great. Absolutely. But he's given like, you did this, you did this. Cause he knows it all. And then his, his attack yep. of Matthew in episode three, when he really goes after yep, Matthew, yep, I can't wait to yep. hear your analysis of that because we had a lot of people who really hated that because they love Matthew so much. No, and they were like, man. Simon's bullying him and berating him. And I'm like, Simon is saying everything that's absolutely true. He's like, yeah. and he gives them the history of the people and what bound them together. So that, I just wanted to give that, that I'm not defending it. It's just more like that's, that's where we're coming from, which is that he is a fierce, fierce loyalist. And, and I just know as someone who has my own strengths and weaknesses that the best parts of ourselves can also, in times when our flesh takes over, become the worst parts of ourselves. Yeah, it sounds like every time you get evangelical reaction, mine's going to be the opposite. So exactly. uh, I, I do love those moments. And and just to redeem some of those things, hey, Simon, Simon Peter's de- character development into season two is totally redeeming it for me. So, oh. uh, And the one thing that I, I don't mention enough when I'm doing the whole God goggles thing, because it's more tongue in cheek and I'm... Uh, but. The one, if I need to like sleep at night and go, no, 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 Dallas is okay. What I tell myself is you also portray Jesus having these intense moments of prayer, like in episode two or three of season one, and he's praying around the campfire and he's like, well, will Jesus, the Holy Spirit reveals all kinds of things to us in prayer. Um, we, we've, we've all had those experiences, things that I don't understand, things I could never explain. And I don't have a long list of those stories either, but but we know that God speaks to people in prayer. Why couldn't he speak to Jesus in the exact same? So how he could know the Samaritan woman backstory. Yeah. The same way that I'll have a prayer partner email me and go, Marty, Jesus is telling me I need to tell you X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, how do you know that? Yeah, They know that because the Holy Spirit does that. And the Holy Spirit has to be able to do that through Jesus more than anybody else. Yeah. So yeah. it, it no, may no. not even be God goggles. It might just be the perfect Holy Spirit living in the perfect man and the perfect relationship. Yeah. And then I go, okay. And I fall asleep and it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that there's a, there's a sleep method for you uh, as you <laughs> wrestle with this show. Um, but yeah, no, every time uh, people have, I mean, there were people who were really, really upset about those 10 seconds of sermon prep. I mean, to the point where they were like, I've been a supporter of this show for so long. I've loved it so much. And now I can't support it anymore. You know, could you please take, take it out? All that stuff. And, um, uh, there's there's a couple of YouTubers on on online who who really give deep dives into every episode of The Chosen, and a couple of them had really great things to say, uh, better than even I said it. Which was, um, here are all the examples of the show where G, where where Dallas makes it crystal clear that he believes Jesus was also God. I mean, Jesus says yeah, it in in, sure. in the opening of of episode two. I'm sorry, season two, two when he says to John, "I am, I am who I am." Um, 
and and then even in this joke uh, in in season two, after he heals the withered hand, and and uh, the pre, the priest says to him, "If God would have wanted him healed, he would have done it himself." And Jesus says, "Interesting point." Um, yeah, I am. I am <laughs> every time you criticize, anytime anyone criticizes uh, my, my my lack of God goggles, I can point five to you right. five scenes where he's yeah. outright saying he's God. And and I think I think we have some scenes in in the show for you too, uh, as someone yes. who doesn't like God goggles. Absolutely. So I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Maybe it just makes me a you know a house divided against itself. But it is. Uh, I think it's pretty clear. I believe Jesus was God and I believe he was man. I, I would. Yeah. I, I love it. Even though I, I, even though it's just part of the commentary and I give you a hard time, I've felt so many times surprised at the lack thereof versus the frustration of their, of the presence. Well, I love it. I mean, I love, I love your podcasts and, and I, and I love the, the debates that you guys have with the show as much as I love the, the things you love about it. So all this was a tangent, actually. I, I think I interrupted you like eight minutes ago. When you were, when you had a, so I don't know if you remember what you were going to say about it down. But. It's, it's so good. And I got back around to it. So don't worry. If it makes you feel any better about people pulling their support, I got an email about how somebody was burning our t shirts the other day. So there Sweet. you go. We're, we're, <laughs> yeah. We know what it feels like. Cool. Yeah. Well, we're running out of time. So I got, I've got just a couple of production related questions that I want to ask you. So um, take me into the editing room or maybe on set. Uh, for episode seven, where you're filming Jesus and Nicodemus in their conversation. And talk to me about crossing the 180 line and what <laughs> what happened there. <laughs> and I just want to give a disclaimer. like, So I talk about this kind of stuff because I'm kind of a film nerd and this stuff is interesting. But like so many times where you're quote unquote breaking a rule or doing something that when you step back into reality and think about it, it doesn't make sense. Like that doesn't make it a bad thing to do in the show. Um, I also talked about the, um, in episode eight where the, the woman at the well is supposedly taking place at midday when she comes to the well. Um, but then the crane shot at the end when they're walking away is like this beautiful sunset light coming in, <laughs> but then you cut to the reverse on their faces and it's this nice soft light on their faces. I'm like that, that stuff's just fun to like think about and notice the production. But, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean I've ruined it. Like the, the whole cinema sins thing. I hate, I hate that idea. Like it's not, we're not nitpicking because the the show is ruined like i'm not trying to ruin the show i'm just a film nerd and it and it's fun to think about but that doesn't ruin the feeling of the show so i'm not i'm not taking that away but just tell me tell me with with the 180 line for episode 7 tell me what happened there and uh you know address some of some of my thoughts yeah and did you there's there's one other i mean there's plenty of others examples of this there's one other one that that is relatively obvious um if you're paying attention to the sun uh which is when jesus heals the leper um, in episode six of season one, um, at the end of the scene, the sun is directly behind, like behind them as it's lowering and it's this beautiful, it's one of our, I, I consider a really beautiful shot from our cinematographer. And then the, the rest of the day keeps going. I mean, like, like they, sure. <laughs> you know, hours later, the sun is still, still out. Um, so you are absolutely right that in episode seven, um, we cross the 180 line. You've already given that description. If this episode has new, uh, listeners that we're doing right now, um, maybe some chosen fans who haven't heard all of your previous podcasts. The 180 degree line is where uh, when you are doing a dialogue scene between, between two people, you decide on which uh, you put, you put an imaginary line that, that goes, you know, that connects them. 
and it goes right down the middle. You know, if you if you want to say it connects their noses, and you then sh- keep the camera um, in both the master shot, which would be the wide, uh, showing both of them, and then each of the close-ups on them, you keep the camera on that side of the line. So when uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, uh, his eyes are looking to the right of the camera. And when uh, Nicodemus is looking at Jesus, his eyes are going to the left of the camera. And whenever you violate that principle, it's, it can be disorienting. Um, and people, most people don't know why. They just, it just, it's disorienting. So you rarely, if ever, break that rule. So our operating principle for that and for, yes, the mysterious son uh, in, in the woman at the well scene um, is it's not because we made a mistake or we, 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 had, we were forced into the choice because uh, we, we missed a shot and now we're stuck. Um, there is a shot in episode seven in that Nicodemus scene where the camera is circling around them. It does a complete three, eight, 360 degree circle around them. And we filmed uh, the whole scene a couple times with with that camera uh, doing that which shot do we choose from that particular 8 minute 360 degree move um our concluding uh, you know the, the tiebreaker is always what's the best what's the best what's the best uh, performance what looks the best um you know in that moment where we did quote unquote break the line uh, we knew we were doing it. Uh, we could have chosen to not do it, but that moment where we cut to that shot was just a. It was a. It, the camera was doing exactly what it needed to be doing. The performances were exactly what we wanted. Uh, it just it, we just thought that that was better than um, sticking with the the rule. Um, and not, we we believed, uh, and we still believe that the vast majority of the audience doesn't doesn't notice that. And the cinematographer Akis Constantinopoulos. Um, I challenge you to say that five times quickly. He is uh, an extraordinary cinematographer. He's just, he's a, he's a genius. And uh, we, we just agree on set most of the time, like, you know what? This shot just really looks way better with the sun there. And most people aren't paying attention to where the sun is. So uh, let's just do the best. Let's just make the best choice for how it looks as opposed to following that specific rule. And uh, 99% of the time, I think we follow the rules. Um, and I, but I, I think those exceptions prove the rule. But ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, I want to have the best performance and I want to have the best look that we can. And uh, we'll just hope that, that in, in those moments where we violate a rule, people won't notice because they're more moved or they're more taken by the, the, the acting or the, the, the visuals. Yeah, that's, that's precisely what I suspected, is that it was an editing choice. I knew that there was absolutely no way you didn't realize that in the moment and you made the choice because that was the best choice for the the show. So totally get it. And I'm very glad that you said your cinematographer's name because I have been thinking about that uh, quite a bit. So we have it on record now. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I know we're running out of time and I didn't say this enough at the top uh, of our episode and our time together, Dallas. I'm I'm just so uh, unbelievably appreciative that you would join us today. Take the time. I, I think you're doing... And you've pointed out your team, you've pointed out that it's God, and that's awesome. There's also a part that's you, and I just super appreciate how you're doing that. I appreciate what God's doing with it. Um, I hope that this whole thing continues, that we make it all the way to the end. Uh, I should probably encourage all of our supporters, our listeners, like if you're supporting The Chosen, if you're watching, if you're enjoying it, like that's what's making this thing go. Season three is yet to be funded. Like, let's just keep these seasons keep contributing, keep those seasons going. But Dallas, personally, I'm just 
unbelievably grateful. Um, and, uh, I, I just don't really know what word to use, but I'm, I'm very thankful and grateful that you would, you would join us on our podcast and talk about all this stuff with us. That's, that's just great. Thank you very much. Well, that means a lot. Uh, I really have been moved by your podcast because, um, you guys are, are, are not, I know it doesn't come easy for you to like the show, meaning it's not like you just, you're going to be automatically supportive because it's a Jesus show. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a heavy weight. And I don't say this needing any sympathy whatsoever. Uh, I am extraordinarily blessed to have the opportunity to, as my career, as my calling, as my provision for my family, to be telling Jesus stories to the world. I'm extraordinarily grateful and, and honored to do it. But it is an extraordinary weight now that the show has gotten to where it is, where I'm being told on a daily basis, you, your show is causing our family to study the Bible more. Your show reintroduced me to Jesus. Your show brought me to Jesus. I mean, those things, uh, as, as, as beautiful as they are to read, they can be very, very scary too. Cause I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like there are people looking to, to me and no matter how many times I try to get them off of me and onto the show or onto to God, uh, they're looking to me for provision in many ways. And it's, it's, it's podcasts like yours. Uh, and I mean this genuinely, um, that act as, as, um, I don't know what word to use, maybe on a, like a, a car dashboard, like warning lights on a dashboard, um, that just go, you know, our, our pastors, our worship leaders, our thought leaders, our theologians, our critics, uh, and I don't mean traditional critics, like, you know, just guys who have the term critic next to their name, but people like yourselves who analyze and critique culture, uh, through a biblical lens, um, I, I don't care necessarily about what you what what you may say from a fleshly perspective. Like, oh, do I get am I getting their approval? But I do care that people who have devoted their lives to uh, ministry and to to thought and to passion about God's word um, is this landing? Uh, is the, am I am I on the right track in their minds? Uh, even when I disagree, it's such an important. Uh, thing that you're doing for for uh, even if the show didn't exist, what you're doing is so important. But for me, it's a blessing. For me, it's important. I am being moved and impacted by what you are what you are doing, and I and I appreciate it. I'm so thrilled to be in partnership with you, and I mean that genuinely. To be in partnership with you, even though my tools are different from yours, in um, as as Jesus says uh, to Matthew at the end of season two. Spoiler alert. Uh, in the season finale, he says to Jesus, to Matthew, I want my people to participate in the healing of the world. And uh, I'm, pr I'm proud to be doing that with you, or hope I'm hoping to continue to do that with you. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really good. And, uh, yeah. And, and I'm looking forward to, to more, to more because season two, like I got done with season one, I was like, okay, that was really good. Can they keep this up? And, uh, season two, yes. The answer is yes. And, uh, I'm really looking forward to more. So, Keep up the good work, sir. A little bit of inside baseball. We are recording on July 9th, and the final episode of season two is, um, I guess, I don't know if you call it broadcasting, releasing on July 11th. So you're, you're about to do that. And then season three is not fully funded yet. So does that mean, Dallas, that you get a little bit of a break in between? Or what, what does life look like in between seasons for you? <laughs> 
uh, I'm trying not to laugh hard just because it's not, not, not to be, not to mock anything that you just asked, but, uh, my wife, if, if she heard your question would, would, would probably just start crying. Um, no, there is no break, uh, whatsoever. Um, because, uh, we have, we, you know, we're, we're completing the writing of season three and, uh, this train has to keep moving. And so, uh, the production design department has to have the scripts as soon as possible so they can begin building, building the sets. Um, you know, we have to be scheduling in advance, you know, getting all the actors and, and, uh, green lighting the, the production. Um, yes, season three is not fully funded, but it is funding at a rate that is quite, it is, it is, it would take, you know, an act of God to keep it from getting funded at this point. So we're confident that it will be. So we are moving forward as though it is happening. Um, but as I speak to you right now, we are, uh, three days from away from moving to Texas. So I'm talking to you in a room surrounded by boxes. Um, my wife, uh, as she is writing the devotional book, uh, co-writing it with myself and with uh, her, her writing partner, uh, the devotional book for season three. She just finished the the Bible study for season two. Um, I, I'm planning, we're, we're putting together a Christmas special this year. All of those things are currently happening while we are trying to move as a family. So uh, honestly, and I, I, I conclude pointing that out with this, I really do need um Everyone needs this, but I, I, I could use prayers um, because uh, I am really uh, right now as 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 uh, underwater, I think, as I've been in three years um, of just trying to keep this this thing going and while also relying on God, while also trying to be the leader of my home as we move to Texas. So, no, there is no break. Um, I was up till six in the morning uh, last night before I did this. Uh, re- doing some recordings for some videos we needed to do. So I actually need to do better at Sabbath. I need to do better at resting and finding uh, time to make sure that I, I'm sustained uh, in this process. So uh, that's why I l- laughed at your question. And it's a, it's a reminder to me that I need to do better. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not completely surprising. I understand uh, exactly what you, you're doing because I do the exact same thing. I just, yeah, I, I have that, that same tendency to, uh, to have too many things on my plate. So, so I get it. Um, final, final questions. Um, when can I order my special edition Blu-rays for season two? Oh, well, um, July 11th. Um, the, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, oh, you mean the special edition? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, you're more of the geek who likes both our, yeah. our, 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 I love those commentary tracks. Yeah, yes. Yes. Um, that will be, uh, those will be probably, releasing, uh, in either December or January. Um, so the, okay. the, 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 the regular DVD, just the, the, the content of, of season two goes on presale, right. uh, on our, on our July 11th, um, uh, live stream, which has already taken place by this point, uh, by the, by the time, uh, the listener is hearing this, I believe, but, uh, yes. the, the special edition, um, will be coming out. That takes months to prepare. We do, right. we put a lot into that. Like I really, we really take that seriously. And, uh, that takes months. We have already recorded our Bible roundtables. Um, I, I, I think you'll really love those. We've got, um, uh, we had really great discussions about each of the episodes and dug deep into the spiritual and biblical and cultural context of all of them. Uh, those will be on the special edition DVD. So yeah, that just takes a long time to put together. They will likely be, they will likely be available in December or January. And I will say for any listeners, like, I mean, we've, we've talked about the chosen for quite a bit of time, but for anyone who wants more Dallas, you are absolutely prolific with your production of extra content behind the scenes stuff. 
uh, the special editions. Your YouTube channel is just filled with information. So anyone who's interested in The Chosen, there's basically no end to how much you can engage with the show. So I absolutely love that. And thank you very much um, for all the work you put into it. Thank you, guys. It really really means a lot. Appreciate it. I think that does it for this uh, this episode. Marty, you have anything uh, to say? Closing thoughts? I don't think so. Just super thankful to be a part of all this. It's great. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on the Bama Podcast. Uh, if you want to find more details about the show, you can go to BamaDiscipleship.com. And we will talk to you again soon.